0: A while back I read a report of something that happened in Japan. They have a theater in Japan uh, where monkeys are decked out in classical outfits. Some are dressed up as soldiers with a famous general leading them and others as a famous king. It's something that all Japanese people know about. Historical event, a confrontation between a famous general and a famous king, and the monkeys are conditioned and trained and they're on the stage. uh, And some version of that epic is played out by the monkeys who are dressed for the part. And they're going through playing playing out their part and then somebody throws a bunch of bananas on the stage. (laughs) And the entire theatrical performance is wrecked years of training. They were monkeys. (laughs) They forgot all about the general and the king and they just wanted their bananas. Well what does that have to do with us? (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) We get all set up, get our posture, as nice and straight, head, neck and back in a straight line, check out the body, it's relaxed, breath is flowing, Maybe take a vow to save all people. Uh, turn to the breathing. Uh, we have a nice stage set. The Buddha's up here. All the other serious-looking people are ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> and the mind just throws out some banana about what your, bo- what your boss said last week. And ten minutes of the sitting, you're just uh, back in your office uh, fighting with him. And Then you, oh... Uh, we get back into into role. Uh, it's a it's a theme that we're constantly working with in our practice, an ongoing uh, challenge of ideas that we have uh, about what practice is, and then uh, an attempt to live those ideas, techniques and ideas uh, in the midst of very strongly uh, conditioned urges. And in last night's talk, I thought. Corrado uh, laid that out very, very in a very useful way for us, uh, particularly emphasizing energy, how um, so much of the energy goes into these, in quotes, distractions. And there's very little energy for the awareness, the, the energy of seeing. Seeing energy is uh, quite weak and undeveloped, certainly to begin with, and is often overwhelmed. Uh, by what turns up in the mind and the matter isn't it isn't a matter so much of uh, having more energy although more energy can help but even a tremendous amount of energy is not the point because it's how the energy is directed it has to do with what we have conviction in, what quite naturally grows to be of supreme importance to us because otherwise uh, it's not fully we're not fully behind it in a, an authentic way. Uh, some years ago, someone asked J. Krishnamurti at a, a public talk he was giving. He's, he's done yoga for many, many years, and this person knew it and said, uh, "You've done yoga for so many years, Krishnaji, and uh, I want—I'm thinking of doing it. Uh, I understand it gives a tremendous amount of energy. Is that correct?" And Krishnamurti said, "Yeah, it is. It is correct." Uh, more energy, also more mischief. That is, uh, just having the energy is not a put-down of yoga. Uh, having the energy is a good start, but then how do we use it? Uh, that's all important. Uh, how we uh, waste energy, The, uh, I thought it's important to understand that and to see it and to learn from our own experience. That... Um, so much energy expended in escaping from what is. I'm just the way it is, right here, right now. So much of it. What if that uh, wasted, dispersed, what if that energy were gathered together, accumulated, focused in a coherent way at that which we're running away from, escaping from, delaying, postponing, coping with, understanding full well that we need to do it or what we need to do in terms of action and then not doing it anyway, often betraying ourselves, not living our understanding. That's uh, some of what we're up against. Now what if all that energy that we uh, brilliantly use to avoid the present moment, what if there was some way of just looking at that which we seem to not want to look at? I think we would have incredible power at our disposal. And so I think a lot of the practice is to help us move in that direction. We keep hearing about now, the, the, every book that comes out now seems to be about now. Um, present moment, that's another one. And of course, that's what we're all saying again and again and again, over and over again in, in somewhat different ways. That's all there is, is the present moment. Um, But if you look, honestly, as uh, I certainly feel I have tried to do, and maybe you have as well, um, we're kind of... uh, we drop in on the present moment from time to time. You know, we're uh, tourists. and We uh, drop in with our suitcase at a bed and breakfast for a little while, but our home, where we live, is either in the past or some imagined future. Oh, time to get back into the present moment. And I would say practice is reversing that, so that we more and more live in the present moment. And when necessary, we visit, not just necessary, useful. The the past is not over with, nor is the future. They're part of life. It's not as if, uh, because you've been practicing and someone you meet for the first time, wants to know about, well, where'd you grow up and where'd you go to school? Sorry, I'm a Buddhist. I don't talk about the past. <laughs> but we learn how to use the fact that we do have a past and that sometimes we have to dip into it. Uh, uh, for example, so much of what we use, our language and knowledge is, of course, from the past. And the future has its place, too, as as for planning and uh, notions uh, that we all have to bring that into play to come here and to coordinate our activities so we're all here together. Uh, what I w- would like to do is build on uh, the talk last night, uh, extend it so that it applies to everything we're doing here on retreat. Uh, although I think uh, on the the talk last night was not limiting it to sitting. What was being talked about as learning how to face what is just the way it is, just this, was not limited to sitting. Some of the examples were not just about sitting. Nonetheless, we're on a retreat and that is what is featured here, sitting and walking, formal practice. Uh, What I'd like to do is something that, uh, uh, it's an attempt to, enliven our practice as lay people. Most of us here are. I don't know, perhaps all of us are. Maybe some of you are contemplating be, uh, entering monastic life. Uh, that's fine. Some of uh, some of us have lived in, under those conditions have practiced that way. But uh, the fact is that as I look around, it looks like just about everyone's a lay person. Okay. Let me, uh, a little bit of background is needed before I try to make it as concrete as I can about our life here on retreat. It's about these seven days because, you know, uh, talks on a retreat are not academic talks where you get a spiral notebook and accumulate information, even if it, it may be interesting. What we're saying is not particularly novel. You've heard it again and again and again. Everyone who gets up here says the same thing in slightly different words. Uh, It's to move the retreat along. It's to, if you're tired and discouraged, it's to help arouse some energy. If you're uh, agitated, it's to calm you down a bit. Uh, And uh, all of us in our own ways are trying to do that, to to move us along. If we quote quote scriptures, it's not, uh, for any purpose as far as I can tell, if you're a practitioner, but for you to take what was uttered perhaps in, uh, as last night from uh, Christian scriptures and Buddhist scriptures and see if there's any application to to modern life, and if so, to put it into action and to test it. Um, my own feeling is that, you know what? It's a very simple quote, and it's really the theme of what I'd like to talk about tonight. It comes from a Chan master named Sheng Yen. Some of you know him. He's been here as a guest. Uh, he's taught at the study center. He's been to Cambridge at CIMC. Uh, a, a very lovely man. He uh, travels around the world. Mainly he's in Taiwan. And he teaches Chan, which is a, this, the uh, Zen is a, uh, was derived on that, based on it. According to Chinese Chan, practice should not be separated from living, and living at all times should be one's practice. Okay. There's a lot being said there. Uh, I like the fact that the word living is used. Let's take language to begin with, and maybe I'm being a bit pedantic and small-minded, uh, maybe not. In retreat situations and in, in the Dharma scene in general, not just in, in Vipassana or Theravadan, but I, I saw this, it was also true in other traditions that I practice in Buddhist traditions. Uh, there's usually uh, a separation and that is called daily life with a capital D and a capital L. We make daily life and then we have intensive practice. That's what we're doing here. And then at the end of a retreat, it's quite common then we try to integrate intensive practice to daily life, because that's what we're going back to. Now, what if we don't make those in the first place? That's why I prefer the term living, uh, because whether you're wherever you come from, and uh, probably most of us do not sit and walk all the time or much of the time when we're home, um, you're alive. You need to be alive. To do that, so prior to all these forms is living itself, and perhaps the most obvious re- reason that life is here is to be lived. And so one way to live it is to come to IMS and to uh, surrender to the, these particular forms that have been they've been invented over time. They're creations, human creations, and we've given it a particular twist. And so it goes. Um, my own feeling is that these uh, approaches have gotten, often get compartmentalized, fragmented, and divorced from one another. Uh, everyone will agree that the practice is meant to be used in daily life. I don't know anyone would say, forget about daily life. They may feel that, but I think but no one would openly say, it's just a complete marriage, family, your job, it's just a complete waste of time. I mean, just, it's just stupid, you know give it up and do the right, you know, do what you know what's right. Okay. Uh, Actually, as I think about it, probably there are people who think that, you know, I I take back what I said. Uh, I don't, I don't think that. Um, So to me, there's just life. And I have found this frame of reference, which which my first teacher gave me about 30 years ago, and I'm really grateful because uh, this trying to Stitch together daily life and intensive practice to uh, uh, integrate them. If you don't make them so separate in the first place, there's nothing to integrate. It's just that wherever wherever you are at the given moment, whatever life form you're inhabiting, that's the one you give yourself over to completely. And so here we are at IMS, we give ourselves over to this. And while we're here, it's an ocean of sitting and walking, with a few waves of other things—dressing and eating—and so most of what goes on is this. But when we get home, it's just a few waves of sitting. For some of us, maybe not even just a few ripples, you know, and it, in an ocean of doing, of work and family and relationship and school and so forth. Uh, now, what I hope I can at least begin to suggest is. A way of looking at things. So, no matter what your particular way of living is, you'll see that this is so fundamental that you can be at home with it. Uh, let's so let's look at our life here at IMS. The sitting and walking are self-explanatory. We we do a lot of it. That's mainly what we talk about. Interviews and discussion groups are primarily about it. Although, uh, we all are encouraged to be mindful while eating, while uh, your yogi job and so forth. I'd like to go beyond that encouragement to point out that there's just one life and to use the breath as a metaphor, which it has been used since ancient times. Um, When you're, let's say, in the meditation hall and the bell rings and it's over and maybe the next thing is your yogi job, exhale the meditation hall so that there's complete space to fully breathe in your yogi job. Staff always loves when I talk this way because their life is made immeasurably easier. I don't know if that's so, I hope so. But that isn't my motive. I'm not courting favor from the staff. It's just that I think this is a good way to live. That's all. Uh, So as we move through the day, is it possible uh, for us to genuinely see each activity in its turn uh, as as valuable as what goes on in the hall. So that there's conviction, there's interest, and what was talked about last night and what I've begun to talk about here this evening, that uh, to fully be with what is, or this moment, is to be with what is in that moment if your job is washing the dishes, then can you fully be with washing the dishes? Now, as you know, I mean, I hope this is what happened. Uh, the jobs are assigned in a random way unless you have a medical condition. Is that correct? Good. I hope a few of you got jobs you don't like. Did anyone get jobs? You know, you wouldn't be embarrassed to admit that. Uh, the point being not to make life difficult for you, but uh, for us to to uh, learn how to take what comes up in life. And uh, I know there's a bad situation, and some people hate the jobs that they get. It is really a good situation if you understand it. That is, these are uh, these challenges have tremendous energy in them. Uh, so quite honestly, whatever your job is. Uh, How would you do it in the spirit of being fully with this moment? How would you do that? Or what would be not being in this moment? Let's say you're doing the job and externally, you could uh, could perfectly execute the job. If you're part of the dishwashing crew, uh, the the dishes come out spotless. Everything is, you, you know what is entailed in the job. If you're mopping, the floor is just really clean. But this isn't just uh, a work situation. It's uh, work as practice. And so what's going on inside of you is crucial. It's not just the externals of keeping the center clean and all of us fed. That's wonderful. And of course, it, we're all serving each other. Everyone here has a yogi job. Corrado and I have a yogi job. I'm doing it right now. This is my yogi job. I did sign up for it. I can't complain. Um, so in doing the job, uh, words like intimacy with uh, the the essence of what's happening in the moment uh, have to do with being in the moment. And what would not be intimate? Let's say if you're separated from whatever your yogi job is, and please reflect right now. Uh, you've done it for a couple of days. And uh, it's not in the spirit of uh, castigating you or judging you but rather seeing some possibilities of uh, personal flowering that can come out of your total experience here, here at IMS, and which can easily, more easily, be transferred back to when you go home, if the retreat is carried out or lived out in this spirit. If there's separation, and typically what could separation be? Uh, Thoughts that have nothing to do with what you're doing or their thoughts about what you're doing but they're negative ones. Uh, an attitude of just wanting to get it over with so you can take a nice walk around the loop in a beautiful day. Perhaps there's envy. You came up with someone. and They have a job where they, they just dust one little dish and or one little shelf and then they're put on their shorts and they're jointing, you know, uh, around the loop and there you are, you know, with a bandana around your head, you know, in the dishwashing room. It's when it gets hot, you know, that's the way it looks it's not fair perhaps the whole thing you, perhaps you hate what i'm saying right now i work hard all year and this this joker is telling me that i'm supposed to really take another job and really what seeing how much i love this job as i do it i just want to get it over with i came here to sit break through solve my problems become more calm reduce my stress lower my cholesterol There seems to be a big gap, in my experience, between our ability to practice in daily, and daily, our here and other, at other retreat centers, and then when we're thrown out into the world, for obvious reasons. It's not easy to live in the world. Uh, not that it's easy to sit as well. You know, we face ourselves here as well. This is another chunk of life, like any other. But out in the world, many of uh, it, for example, the human race has, it, it seems pretty obvious that our biggest problem uh, is we haven't learned how to live together. We just don't know how to do it. We're constantly at war with one another over what, a, the reasons vary, but we're, it's a struggle, it's a battlefield. Uh, and we've made advances in just about everything else. We have uh, wonderful technology, clean bathrooms, great, uh, everything, information explosion. I don't think email is gonna save the human race. If information were it, we've had enough information for a long time. It's not about information, it's about understanding and transformation. And the understanding I mean is not intellectual, although it can certainly begin there. So how, if we come off practice and we still feel handicapped in life, you see what can happen is Uh, we create a split between, especially if you are drawn to the practice. And many of us fall in love, particularly with the sitting. I'm one. I love to sit. It's great. Always have. I just changed my life more than anything I've ever done. And it also contributed to a a kind of non-hospitalizable schizophrenia for a while, where this is what I really love to do and everything else was just how do I earn the money in order to get back to the next retreat? And talking about the retreats that I just finished, wearing them like campaign ribbons, you know, the three-month retreat of or whatever. Uh, in the meantime, most of life is passing me by. And as lay people, and this is where there is an important, I think, contrast, the monastic strategy is to keep at a distance energies that are very, very difficult for all of us. It's a strategy, and it has proven to be highly effective for some people. Sexual energy, most of the human race, we're we're tormented by either too much or not enough. Money, too much or not enough. Food, too much or not enough. We don't know what to do with these energies, and there are other things as well. Just take these three. Okay, then just don't do them. Become celibate. Don't handle money and have... It's all set, one meal a day at a stipulated hour, and so forth. It cuts things down quite a bit. And it can be a useful strategy for some people. But that's not our life. We have to learn how to use money. We have to learn how to live with sexual energy. One way or another, we can elect to not be in a relationship. I'm not uh, advocating some new, in order to really be a Dharma student, you have to marry and have 10 children, and that's the real test. I've seen the extremes of either it's all on the cushion or and then after these people get married and have a family. No, the real test is when you get married and you have children. I have found the real test is everywhere. Uh, and some of the things that I've learned out in, in Cambridge, the challenges of ca- in Cambridge, uh, I didn't learn on many long silent retreats. But I also learned some things on silent retreats that never seemed to come up in the rest of my life, so why should I set one up? This is where it's at. The rest of it is, you know, just get, up, get through it. I don't think so. And that's the advantage of having a model, because this is a, all I'm saying, it's a model, that really prior to even Buddhism, Buddha Dharma, the, the Buddha's precious teaching, is life itself. And that's what I feel Shen is saying so simply and so beautifully. There's no separation between what we call the practice and and living, because we're always, as long as we're alive, that's what we're doing. One way or another, we're living. And then the question becomes, everyone's doing that. What is the quality of that living? Okay, now, getting back to our dishwasher, our thankless, hapless dishwasher, uh, if that person realizes, well, I'm doing these dishes for the good of the sangha, the community of meditators, that might make you feel a little bit better about doing it, but I think even more to the point is it's good for you. It's not about uh, saving IMS, making sure we don't get diseased by dirty dishes. Uh, those are real moments in your life while you're doing the dishes or mopping or whatever your yogi job is. I'm just on that for a moment. Uh, whatever you encounter, that's your life. And the practice then is that question. What is that? What's happening now? The Chinese have a, a very good way of putting it. When you're divided, they call it killing life. When you're totally at one with what you're doing, it's called giving life to life. Now, you're the beneficiary of that. If a lot of your life is spent coping, putting up with, dealing with, I'm doing this in order to get that so I can do something else, that's how you're spending your life. Uh, is that how you want to live? Is is dharma supposed to uh, turn us into... Uh, a, a, bigger misfits than we were before we ever heard of meditation. Most of us spend a high percentage of our life with people at work, etc., some form of it. We leave here. It's obvious. Even those of you who are on staff, most people don't stay here forever. You leave. And you go back to work. You may not think so right now, but I've watched generation after generation come and go, and we do. So we have to learn how to live. We have to learn how to live our life in the midst of the very things that perhaps drove us to meditation. Pain in relationship, not having found work that we love, etc. Now what I'm suggesting in some small way, I I don't feel inflated about this. If you come up and do your retreat, and of course when it's time to sit, really sit. When it's time to walk, really walk. But see if you can uh, bring a, a keen interest to dressing, to washing, to eating, to everything that makes up your day. See if you can um, really understand that what Sheng Yin's when he says, practice should not be separated from living, and living at all times should be one's practice. It's an opportunity to practice what you're hearing about all the time. To be in the now, to be right here with this, just this. Uh, to be with what is. What's happening, that's what's happening. And so often we're not there. I think we got a clear picture of that last night. But we already know that. That is, the mind is so often uh, running after the bananas and not doing our Dharma practice because of the power of the conditioning. Now, if we can approach a much safer more simplified environment, like IMS, in the spirit of seeing it as as life, and taking each activity, no matter how uh, mundane or trivial it may seem, just lifting a cup of tea and just sipping it, just noticing the cup of tea on the table, uh, seeing perhaps some of the steam come out of it, just seeing it sit there, perhaps the color, maybe there's a bit of an aroma. Tea ceremony? Yeah, the original tea ceremony. Just enjoy a cup of tea. You know, and you, you do it. You can do that here. You have the time to do do things in a way that's more difficult at home. Uh, relationship, it's here too. You think there's no relationship here? For all of us. There really is. We're not talking, so that does minimize the possibility of getting into trouble. It doesn't eliminate it because the mind, as we know, goes through whatever it wants to go through. Uh, and it has uh, it's shameless and has complete poetic license to make up whatever it wants to about anyone here. And here's a point that I <coughs> would like to emphasize. And I think Corrado and I, in different ways, will be putting a lot of energy into this for the remainder of the retreat. You already know this. You've heard it time and time again. But uh, in my own practice, in daily life, daily life, I'm not saying it's easy for me either. Honestly, it's so much easier to just fold up my legs and sit and, mmm, sweet, nice. Even when stuff comes up that I don't approve of, you know, I've been at it a while, I I can meet it, and soon I'm at peace again. But what happens... Uh, when you get off the cushion, which is most of the time. Um, Excuse me. What I've found very, very helpful, and I'm encouraging people in Cambridge to do now, and at least a few have found it equally helpful, is it's a, a change in attitude, really priorities, to understand the supreme importance of being aware of your reactions let's limit it to IMS but then I'd like to go beyond IMS Uh, well we've heard this what's new about that it's not new at all what I'm saying is that your reactions are at least as important as that which prompted the reaction but so much of our energy is on what produced the reaction and now and then we turn to our reactions now when you have you're in a a situation where you're sitting, it's a lot easier because that's what you're you're right there with everything or you have a better chance of it. What I'm getting at is throughout the day, things happen and they produce a reaction in us. Now uh, here, everything is a bit easier, I think. Uh, It's safer. Uh, It's less challenging in many ways because there's no, uh, we're all quiet for the most part. But we have reactions anyway. And in this sense, relationship is a mirror. It teaches us about ourselves. As we hear the mind annoyed with someone for taking a little bit too much food or uh, whatever it is, we're having socks that we don't like or uh, whatever is brought up in us. Maybe when we have the group, you don't want to hear what your fellow yogis have to say. and You tune out. And you go, oh, no, not again. I'm falling asleep. I'm feeling sleepy. What should I do? Although that's my mind. We always get that a lot in the first few days. It's, we, you know, of course. And uh, I think we're pretty fresh with it, but I've heard it a few thousand times by now. I know we all, we all face that. Well, what if you're annoyed? Can you see that? Can your reflexes become really uh, uh, faster, more supple, subtle, so that more and more you you don't get lost in what's happening? Now, it's not to the exclusion of what's happening, excuse me, uh, because particularly when we're engaged in life in a more normal situation, in the sense of talking, going on, and give and take. Um, there can be a flow so that you're attending to the other person but you also don't lose touch with your reactions and it's a bit like the tide going in and out sometimes you're a little bit more inside and feeling your reaction but you haven't lost touch with that in the other person or in nature or in a situation that has produced the reaction and with practice what can happen is a simultaneity of it it's possible it's not as so difficult as it may sound. A simultaneity where you're able to take in the other person and be and really feel what you're feeling as the other person is uh, talking or looking at you or whatever it is they're doing. Uh, give it a try. See if you're going to uh, become really sensitive to what comes up throughout the day. Now you've heard this. My goodness. Now. We're not going to go into the uh, Paticca Samudpada, the uh, dependent or, uh, origination, the doctrine, uh, teaching, which is a very profound, it's at the core of the Buddhist It's one of the core teachings. But this is the is crucial in it. When you get home, you can read up on it and you'll see what I mean. Uh, something happens, something comes in through one of the sense doors. We hear a sound, a speech or a sound or a te- what whatever it is, and there's a reaction. Now, if you get better at the reactions, and here the the implications are enormous. I don't know how, I'm just going to hint at it a bit, maybe uh, for the remainder of the retreat, other times we can go into it more deeply. Reactivity is just conditioning. That's more like the monkey. Uh, Often it's just conditioning talking to each other. Two people seem to be talking but so much of it is my conditioning listening to your conditioning and then uh, giving it back to you and we think we're free uh, you know and the creative and I'm an individual uh, and uh, I listen to my heart which is what I mean it takes a while before you can really trust what you're in touch with as being something uh, accurate trustworthy true, helpful. So much of what we rely upon is just conditioning, and some of it's not all that useful. Just look at the world. Everyone thinks that they're really responding. Okay. Now, if you get better at your conditioning, at being mindful of it as it happens, you start to take the power out of it. And that whole power balance, the energy that was gotten at last night, starts to shift a bit. As the conditioning energy, the energy of conditioning, starts to lose its power, uh, in other words, your action, whether it's verbal or, or physical, doesn't necessarily spring from the conditioned mind as much. And as that condition happens, like clockwork often, you know, everything's so predictable, I say, you're a jerk and you call me a fool. Great. You know, and so much life is like that. It's like clockwork. As you get to know yourself, I'm sure you've, you've seen that in yourself. Uh, you know, I can hear my father talking through me sometimes, and it's, it's not always so great. Okay. Um, if you get better at really recognizing the importance of being mindful of your reactions, the reaction uh, goes into abeyance, even if it's just for a few moments, and there's, uh, you have much more clarity available to you and then you can have a genuine response. Now when this gets deeper, it's coming from the most reliable place that we have and the whole quality of action changes dramatically. It's coming from called variously don't know mind, no mind, emptiness, the silent mind, which is where this practice is heading. It's this, to me, mysterious place when the mind becomes quiet that is just highly charged, it's silent, but it's highly charged with life. It's extraordinary intelligence and kindness that's not cultivated. It's intrinsic, it just seems to, to come out. And we're just better for it. We're smarter, we're kinder. Uh, it just changes life and that's of course uh, when me is minimized, when Larry gets out of the way, then there's a chance for something decent to happen As long as Larry's in charge, forget about it. Plug in you if you want to. Maybe you're beyond what I'm talking about. And so there is a place. Now, when it's deep enough, of course, what we're talking about uh, is awakening. We're talking about the deathless. We're talking about the unborn. We're talking about that place which is beyond the reach of aging, sickness, and death. How do you get there? Here's what Dogen says. Not that we need him, but you know, maybe you'll believe him. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't find the truth where you are, where do you expect to find it? Now, this is a very, very uh, important point, And it, to me, it's a, a corollary of what Carrado was getting at last night and I hope, and what I'm emphasizing uh, here as well. The mind seems to have a tendency uh, to to seek far afield for what, it's, what it values. Somehow, wherever it is, is not the right place. You know, all those stickers, at least in Cambridge, I'd rather be golfing, I'd rather be playing tennis, I'd rather be surfing... Everyone would rather be somewhere else. But also, when we come to spiritual life, somehow uh, this—the the, truth—is uh, something out of a Steven Spielberg special effects, you know, or a J. Arthur Rank movie with gongs going off and incredible light show. Uh, and even when we start looking in the mind in choiceless awareness or free attention, that aspect of practice, uh, we're. Some of the questions today in group or you know, people are concerned about somewhere, maybe it's more mysterious, further on in the mind that I'm getting in touch with. Somehow what's right in our face is not good enough. But what these teachings are saying is, stick with what is right in front of you. The deepest comes from what's close at hand, not from trying to reach out to what you imagine be where all the interesting stuff is. It's on a spatial level as well. You know, I went to Korea. I lived there for a year because the truth was in Korea. Sorry, I'm nothing wrong with Korea, but it isn't in Korea. Well, maybe it's in Thailand. How about Burma? How about India? It was great. There were some teachers there. and uh, Ajahn Budadaso was a, a very wonderful teacher. When it was time for me to go home, he says, "What do you? Don't bother coming back. You don't need to. Come. I mean, it's uh, it's all inside of you. Just do it. Do the work in the United States. You know what to do. Well, you come back here, get dysentery. You don't speak the language. You got to eat food you don't like. What do you? What, what? I don't understand it. <laughs> all you Americans, you know, you're crawling all over the planet. What do you think you're going to find? You know, it's still you." You know, so do it in the United States, your own food, you know, et cetera. Uh, duh. (laughs) (laughs) But I had to go there for someone to tell me I had to go halfway around the world for someone to tell me that it's where you are. Oh, thank you. Okay, you see what I'm getting at. Now, uh, I, I, um. Whether it's inner or it's outer, it seems a a drastic re-education is what we're undertaking here. And a lot of it has to do with uh, just, you know, life, it seems, now and forever is going to insist on being exactly the way it is. Have you noticed that? It just keeps on insisting on being this way, and then it's this way, and then it's this way, and we don't like it much of the time. I want it to be that way. All right, good, you can have that view, but it's this way. Oh. And so what we're learning is how to, you know, uh, the simple uh, instructions of allowing the breathing to happen, don't control the breath. There's so much packed into that simple instruction that's valuable beyond breath awareness. You're learning the whole art of surrender, of allowing. To leave the breath alone, don't try to improve it. Stop trying to intervene and fix and, change and uh, use this in order to get that just can you experience this in breath just as it is does it have to lead somewhere else i know very often when people in uh, in retreats when the mind gets very quiet i get a question like uh, where does this lead uh uh-uh. uh you know uh you it's over you know go directly to jail do not pass go uh can't, can you enjoy it for what it is? Can you be with it for what it is? Does it have to be of interest only insofar as it takes you somewhere else that may be in your imagination more valuable than where you are? Because wherever you are can't be all that good because it's you who's there. I wouldn't join any country club that would have me. W- <laughs> then Woody Allen, someone said it, Jack Benny, or someone said that. Groucho Marx, thank you. <laughs> Glad we have some scholars here. Okay, so we're learning to get comfortable, you know, some of the most precious moments. There's there's great possibilities for enlivening our life with ordinariness, because much of our life is ordinary, and I'm not using that term in a derogatory sense. Quite the contrary. Much of our life is made up of things that we do day in and day out. Small, ordinary, and even when we watch the mind dramatic things happen in the mind. Some that we love, some that we hate. But a large part of what you're sitting, if you're just sitting and mind watching, is ordinary stuff. Uh, but it's what your life is in that moment. And this is uh, the art of fully being intimate with what is. It's being, learning how to um, strengthen our capacity, deepen our capacity, widen our capacity, I don't know what words to use, to receive our own experience intimately. It's our own experience that we're learning how to receive, not someone else's. Interesting that it's so hard for us to receive our own experience. Yeah, one uh, final point uh, before we call it you know, enough for tonight. I want to make sure that Uh, some of the possibilities of viewing practice as really always being life, life expressing itself. Take the many categories of persons here. If you're on staff, then you're working much more than the people in the hall, of course, and you get to sit from time to time, and you have interviews, and now and then you have retreat time and so forth. That's what your life is. If you're a work retreatant, then you're working a bit more than some of us in the hall, and then you get to sit some of the time. Some of you are long-term yogis. There are uh, people, I don't know if they're here now, but in the past I've worked with a few people who are doing basically room retreats. They've been sitting for a while. uh, They never come to the hall. Uh, Sometimes I don't see it. uh, I know in the old days we used to do it. It was done for me, and certainly in Korea it was done, where food is even brought to the person. So I'm not saying that everyone has to work, work, work all the time. What I'm saying is, whatever the appropriate form is, can you surrender to that? I'm not saying we all have to have relationships now. What I saw was, uh, first the monastic peace was extolled, and then a number of us, after they disrobed, I was never a monk. I lived among monks. I wore robes, but as a, like I was a guest. Uh, then, when they disrobed and got married and had children, then somehow all of us have to have children because that's the real test of practice. Let everyone pick their own lifestyle. I, I'm not, to me, it's independent of that. Uh, what I'm trying to suggest is to get free of fixation on forms, but yet to value forms and to use them. Look, if you asked me, gave me a choice, all right, Mr. Big Shot, you say, your work is so great, yogi job, I'm going to give you a choice. Seven days of just washing your dishes or seven days of sitting in the hall. I'm going to sit in the hall. For, I won't hesitate. Would be stupid. What, what am I going to learn from doing? Well, I might learn some things. So I'm not saying that. And sometimes that might be a good thing for a person. It might. I had a teacher once who, s- who told me no sitting for two weeks. It was torture for me, but it was very, very helpful. I had the same teacher for, uh, told me, no reading for one year. And I honestly did it. I mean, I, it nearly, uh, I nearly lost it. But I, that's what I needed, no reading for one year. So it, it's not one size fits all. Some people have more of a contemplative bent and are drawn to sitting, and they will always do more, whether their official role is monk, nun, layperson, long-term yogi, short-term yogi, uh, whatever, guest. We're all just people living out our life, and the practice uh, is available. Awareness is available every moment of the day because we're alive. And so make fullest use of the forms that, are most useful for you right now and so what I'm suggesting is take a fresh look at how you live here there is a life here it isn't just sitting and walking take a look at how you've arranged your room I know it's only seven days but you just throw stuff and then yeah I'm only gonna be here seven days take a look at that I'm not your mother I'm not gonna tell you what to do but just see how you live here see how you eat in addition to eating, the mindfulness has is almost unlimited things that can be learned from it. Not only can you see the impermanent, changing nature of everything, but you can actually begin to see uh, how different foods affect you differently. Which foods make you tend to make you sleepy? Which foods give you energy? Which foods are useful for a meditator? Not just amount, but even what you eat, and it's pretty idiosyncratic. Each person has to learn that. And so, essentially, it's a it, it's a commitment to the intention to understand rather than to judge. Uh, we need all the help that we can get to turn the energy around so that the energy of seeing is more powerful than the energy of conditioning. So that the awareness can be so strong, so unwavering, that it isn't pushed around by what happens to us in life. The Buddha is called... Someone who had mastered come what may seeing. It's a pretty flat statement, but if you think about it, it says a lot. Come what may seeing. Can you see how that's already freedom? You're free. Whatever's there, you can just be aware of it. So that's what we're learning. We have a moment's silence for May we continue to look into ourselves, may we see things exactly as they are, and may such clear direct seeing free us from all forms of limitation.